All right. Isn't it great to be saved? Isn't it great to be in the house of God? Shouldn't we be happy people in the house of the Lord? Amen. Knowing that we're on our way to heaven. Knowing that Jesus Christ is coming back. If that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. Amen. I'll tell you one thing. This world doesn't excite me, but Jesus Christ excites me. Amen. Amen. Because as he just said, Brother Joseph, you know, one-fourth of Scripture deals with Jesus' soon return. Amen. What we call Bible prophecy. And uh, Bible prophecy should motivate us in these last days in which we live. And I do believe that we are living in the last days. Amen. And I believe that the last days of the church age is about to come to a conclusion when one day we hear a sound of a shofar, a trumpet from heaven, and it will be so loud, all the born-again dead in Christ will rise first. No matter where they are, where they're buried, they will rise first. Amen. Then we, which are alive and remain, will be caught up together, <laughs> will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Jesus never said he was going to send Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to get us. He did not say he was going to send Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to pick us up. He did say in John 14, 1 through 3, I will come again. Amen. Amen. And receive you, the church, unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be. Also, that's John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. And so Bible prophecy should motivate us to win souls to the Lord first and foremost. Amen. Bible prophecy should motivate us to live holy, righteously, and godly in this present age, in this godless, wicked world, because we have a blessed hope, Brother Tom, to look forward to. Amen. We have a blessed hope. That's Titus chapter 2 and verse number 13. We don't have a blasted hope. If you think you're going to go through any part of this future tribulation period, you have a blasted hope. I'm looking forward to the blessed hope. Bible doesn't tell me anywhere, anywhere in the New Testament that I am to look for the beast. I am to have a heads up for the Antichrist. No, nowhere. Bible doesn't tell me to look for the Antichrist, but the Bible tells me to look for Jesus Christ. Why? He is the promise of our blessed hope. As Brother Joseph said, I just got back from uh, Israel about a week ago or so, and I'm still trying to get into the time zone here, okay? Because there's, there's like a seven-hour difference there. Uh, I went to Israel, left on October the 25th, got back on November the 6th to carry out the 52nd Israel Gospel Outreach. No tour groups, no nothing, just one individual and myself, soul winning in the Holy Land. And I have to liken this 52nd Gospel Outreach to a no-hitter. All, we all know what a no-hitter is in baseball, right? A pitcher goes nine innings without giving up a hit. And that's the case with this 52nd Gospel Outreach. Dr. Todd Baker and I passed out 36 complete Hebrew Bibles. Old and New Testament, all in Ivrit, Hebrew as well as Jewish gospel tracts and Arab gospel tracts. We don't leave out the Arabs, amen? For God so loved the... That includes them as well. There was not one single rejection. 
No, I don't want that. I'm going to get any of that. We gave him the gospel using messianic prophecies in the Tanakh, the Old Testament, and how Yeshua, Jesus, fulfilled those prophecies in the Berich Chadashah, the New Testament. One lady was so blown away, an Israeli Jew. She said, I have to learn more about this. Can you give me a Bible? Can you give me a, a gospel? I mean, they were just so open. But my favorite part, in this gospel outreach in Israel, is driving all the way up north to the Golan Heights. How many have heard of the Golan Heights? Okay, Golan Heights is in the north of Israel. It's like it's a buffer zone between Syria to the northeast and Israel to the west. The word Golan is mentioned four times in the Old Testament. It's also called Bashan. That's mentioned 53 times in the Old Testament. We drive all the way up to a very high mountain. It's the highest mountain in Israel. It's called Mount Hermon. Many in the West say Hermon, but it's Hermon. There was an IDF military base up there of Israeli Defense Force soldiers. And we drive up there with potato chips, bottles of water, chocolate bars, and we go right into the barracks there. And there are two IDF soldiers always stationed there. We have never had a rejection from any of those IDF soldiers. Not one. A no-hitter intact, man. So when we went there, we gave them the food, and then we proceeded to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. They accepted the Bibles from us, the Jewish gospel tracts, and then I lay this on them, Brother Tom. I said, hey, guys, do you know what happened on this mountain? Two thousand years ago. Mazeh? What? I said, Yeshua, Jesus was transfigured on this mountain. This mountain, yes, the highest mountain in Israel. How do you know that? Well, what ancient cities below us right now? And they'll tell you, Caesarea Philippi. Ah, mentioned in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 16, that is where Peter, at Caesarea Philippi, confessed Jesus Christ to be the Christ, the Son of the living God. Really? Yeah, really. And then when you get to the following chapter, chapter 17, it says, And Jesus taketh with him Peter, James, John, to a high mountain. Caesarea Philippi is at the foot of Mount Hermon. That is where the transfiguration took place. They were absolutely blown away. And they said, you know, I'm going to go back and I need to read more about this. We go there every single year to check up on these IDF soldiers. It might be the same guy. It might be different IDF soldiers. In either case, they're getting the word of God. Amen? Two years ago when we were up there, one of those IDF soldiers looked at Dr. Todd Baker and I and said this, I remember you two. I'm like, ooh, this don't sound good. He pointed it. He goes, I remember you two. I'm like, uh, okay. He says, you gave me a Bible. I said, okay. Now, I'm, I'm trying to remember this guy, but he remembered us. He says, you gave us a Bible. I said, okay. He said, I just want to let you know that after reading that Bible and these, the, the gospel tracts that you gave me, I wanted to let you know that I trusted in Yeshua as my Savior and Messiah. He looked at me and said, I'm a completed Jew. That's what he told us. He goes, I'm a completed Jew. I had tears coming down my eyes. I want to carry on what our Lord did 2,000 years ago. 
in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, and Matthew 15, 24, I go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. There's no expiration date, ladies and gentlemen, on Romans 1, 16. Amen? What did Paul say in Romans 1, 16? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believeth to the Jew first, and then also to the Greek or to the Gentile. There's no expiration date on Romans 10, 1. Paul said, brethren, I think he's talking to you, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Believe it or not, believe it or not, we have encountered indifference from some Christians who say, I have no business going to Israel and trying to convert Jews. I don't have the power to convert anybody. What did Paul say? 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but who gave the increase? That's not my prerogative. That's his. Only God can give the increase. Soul winning in Israel is totally different than what you do, what you do out here, amen, in the West. You just can't walk up to a Jew and give him a gospel tract and say, hey, if you die today, would you be in heaven or hell? That's, that's totally foreign to them, amen? Even though it's not illegal, another misconception among Christians, it is not illegal to evangelize in Israel, but yet you got to treat it as a very, very delicate situation because you don't want to draw unnecessary attention to yourself because you do have anti-missionary organizations out there that would love to get my name, report me to the Minister of Interior, and try to ban me from entering into the country as a missionary. We've never had that issue, amen? So it's not illegal to go soul winning in Israel. You just can't go to those that are underage and to the elderly. Everybody else is fair game. Why? Israel is a democracy, is it not? The, <laughs> the only democracy in the Middle East that shares the same democratic values that we have right here in the United States of America. So it's not illegal to go soul winning in Israel. But man, not one single Outreach. We ended off this 50-second gospel outreach driving all the way to the southern tip of the state of Israel to a place called Elat. E-I-L-A-T. Elat mentioned in the Bible, 1 Kings 19, 26. It's Israel's most southern point. With the mountains of Edom to our left, the Hashemite kingdom of Jordan to the, um, to the east, Egypt to the West. And we have such great ministry out there sharing the gospel at a shopping mall called, I think it's the Ice Mall there in Israel. So we go into these shopping malls in Tel Aviv, Tiberias near the shores of the Sea of Galilee, Nazareth, um, Elat, Haifa, wherever the Lord opens the door, we go into these shopping malls and we go one-on-one with the Jewish people. So please pray for all of those Israelis that receive the word of God from us, that the Holy Spirit of God would prick their hearts and that they would come to faith in the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior. So I will be back in Israel. This was my 32nd trip there. I'll be taking my 33rd trip again in March, Lord willing, uh, 2023, for the 53rd Israel Gospel Outreach. But I also had a wonderful opportunity to baptize Christians out there in the Jordan River. Uh, Zola Levitt Ministries sends us out there with the group, but we're separate from the group. 
We don't tour with the group. They're, they're touring. We're out soul winning. Amen. But uh, they called us and said, hey, would you baptize some of the people in this group? They want to get baptized in the Jordan River. So Dr. Baker and I baptized the group in the uh, Jordan River, also taught them the word of God there as well. Then we got another call from them asking if we would go to the garden tomb in Jerusalem, the traditional site of the Lord's resurrection from the dead. It's adjacent to Calvary, that stone, that skull mountain. You can still see a skull right there. It's unbelievable. And so we went there. Uh, we taught them uh, communion, and then we had communion with them. It was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. So please pray for the 53rd Israel Gospel Outreach uh, that we will continue to have great success in the land of promise, the land of prophecy, and in the future, the land of primacy. You know why I say primacy? Because one day when Jesus is reigning from that very city in the land of Israel, Israel will be the head of the nations and not the tail of the nations as she is right now. And Jerusalem will one day become the capital of planet Earth in the millennial kingdom reign to come. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter 35 and verse number one, if you will. Don't forget, I will be speaking again tonight. So uh, I would suggest that you invite some friends to come with you to church tonight. If they're lost, bring the lost in here, amen? That's what it's all about, winning the lost at any cost. If I would also ask another, if I can ask a favor from all of you here this morning, if you do have a cell phone, if you would please silence your cell phones, amen? If you can silence your cell phones and concentrate on what God wants you and I to hear this morning. I know in churches there could be a lot of distractions and so on and so forth, but if we can focus on the word of God this morning, amen, and get rid of those distractions, I believe it will be uh, honoring to uh, the Lord. So can please silent your cell phones. I would greatly uh, appreciate that. Look with me, if you will, to uh, Isaiah chapter 35 and verse number 1. And this is a prophecy concerning the desert in Israel. When you think of a desert, what do you think of? Dry. What else? Barren. <laughs> right? Lifeless. You know, it's like one big dust bowl. And that was the case in the beginning. But Isaiah tells us that one day that same desert is going to blossom like the rose. And we saw that prophecy fulfilled. Notice with me in Isaiah 35, and just one verse here. Verse number one. The wilderness and the solitary or desert place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the rose. Wow, what a prophecy. Let's pray this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. And Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, that we have the, the blessing of opening up this book every single day, reading it, studying it, and applying it, Lord, to our very hearts, to our very lives, Lord. Father, in a day and age of such apostasy and heresy being propagated out there, Lord, I believe that it would, it would behoove us, Lord, to stay in the word of God, 
to get our doctrine from this blessed book. And Lord, I look at all these prophecies concerning the land of Israel. And this one particular prophecy right here, Lord, shows that it was fulfilled between the mid-19th and the early 20th century. And yet you kept your promises, Lord, to the Jewish people that they're back in the land, but they're back in a state of unbelief. And that must be the case in preparation for a final seven-year period to come upon unbelieving Israel and the unbelieving Gentile nations of the world. But Lord, I am so glad that we will not be here as the church to experience that final seven years of unprecedented horror. So Father, if there is someone here this morning and they do not have the assurance of going to heaven when they die, it's my prayer, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation and that they would call upon the name of the Lord and get saved. Be with Pastor Tony and Don as they're out there in Pensacola. Watch over them, protect them, Lord. We pray for those like Kathy Collins, uh, that, uh, again, fourth time having COVID. I pray that your hand be upon her right now, Lord, and upon those in this church that are going through some type of health issues. You know who they are, Lord. I pray that your hand be upon them right now, and may you be glorified in everything that is said and done here today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, amen, amen and amen. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, the Jewish people. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It will bloom like a rose. And we saw this ancient prophecy, ladies and gentlemen, fulfilled in the 20th century when the Jewish people made Aliyah. Everyone say Aliyah. Aliyah. Now you're speaking Hebrew. Aliyah means to ascend, to go up to the city of Jerusalem as they did in biblical times. Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse number 16 tells us that the Jewish people would make Aliyah to Jerusalem during the three main pilgrim feasts of Passover, Pentecost, and Feast of Tabernacles. Passover in the spring, Pentecost in the summer, Tabernacles in the fall. That they would return to the land of Israel leading up to the rebirth of the state of Israel on May 14th of 1948. But prior to the Jews returning back to the land, the place was one big dust bowl. Hardly any vegetation, amen? And there was no rainfall. Now, I'm not exaggerating here. There was no rainfall in the land for at least 400 years. Because the land was under the occupation of a cruel people known as the Ottoman Turks. They occupied the land for some 400 years. Something tells me the land wasn't proud of that. Prior to Israel's rebirth, the Arabs already living there referred to themselves as either Syrians or Turks, but they never referred to themselves as Palestinians to ever identify themselves. The land was infested, ladies and gentlemen, with such, with, with malaria. And the Jews were purchasing malaria-infested swamps at outrageous prices by the Arabs. And the Arabs were laughing all the way to the bank. What are they going to do with these swamps? What are they going to do with these disease-infested areas? Let's take advantage of these guys and sell it at outrageous prices. And that's what they did. They laughed themselves all the way to the bank. But these Arabs had no idea, no idea of what was to come in Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 
number one. They had no idea of the prophecy, folks, that was about to be fulfilled. They wouldn't be laughing anymore. They wouldn't be mocking anymore. Isaiah's prophecy, chapter 35 and verse number one, is about to come to pass. And when the Jews began to return, they didn't find a land of milk and honey, right? The Bible calls it the land of milk and honey. By the way, whenever you see that term, milk and honey, when we get to the honey part, you need to dismiss the Western thinking of that little gold gooey stuff that we like. That sweet, sweet stuff, amen, which I have a bunch of it in my car, little tabs of honey from uh, uh, Israel, little, little jars there. But it's referring to the land of milk and dates. That's the honey. You ever tried dates? Okay, but you need to try them there in Israel. They, are you okay? They are so naturally sweet, amen? Absolutely delicious. The only thing I don't like about them is that big, big seed inside. You know, I mean, it's like, it's like that big, you know? But it's absolutely delicious. So milk and honey would refer to the land of milk and dates. But when they came to the land of milk and honey, it was nothing more than a land of dust and desolation. Isaiah said the land would respond when the Jews returned and would blossom like the rose. Now, let's see if we can get this thing working here. Okay, I knew it was going to do that. It always works before the service, but it never... Oh, there we go. There we go. Let's see there. Come on. So it's delaying here. There we go. Notice in uh, Isaiah 51 and verse number 3. Now, you're looking at Mount Zion in Jerusalem today, the area where the last Passover took place, or what we would call the Last Supper. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. And he will make her wilderness like Eden. Wow. And her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein. Thanksgiving and the voice of melody. In other words, when the Jewish people would come back to the land, the land itself would respond. And folks, it did respond. Amen. The land would rejoice. The land would bloom with the sound of melody. The land itself would respond when the indigenous people have come home to Eretz Israel, the land of Israel. The Jewish prophet Isaiah also foretold the replanting of the trees and the provision of water right in the barren desert area. Let's, since we're in Isaiah, let's go to chapter 41, if you will, please. Isaiah 41. Notice this right here. In Isaiah chapter 41... Verses 18 and 19, I believe they're foretold that when the Jewish people come back, there will be the replanting of the trees, the provision of water in the barren deserts. Folks, this was fulfilled in the late 19th to the mid-20th century. Notice with me Isaiah 41, verses 18 and 19. This is what God said. I will open rivers in high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar, the shita tree, and the myrtle, and the oil tree. I will set in the desert the fir tree, and the pine tree, and the box tree all together. What do we call this? The reclamation of the land. In Ezekiel chapter 36, you know what God did? In Ezekiel chapter 36, God 
prophesied not to human beings, not to individuals. God prophesied to the land 35 times, Brother Tom, in chapter number 36. He's prophesying to the rocks, to the hills, to the mountains. He's prophesying in chapter number 36 of Ezekiel 35 times of what is to come. Let's go to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36. I hope you're writing all these down. Study these on your, on your, your spare time there. But notice to me in Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel is an amazing book. A lot of prophecy here. In Ezekiel chapter number 36, looking at verses 34 and 35. Ezekiel 36, verses 34 and 35. This is what he says. And the desolate land shall be tilled, farmed, if you will. Whereas it lay desolate, in the sight of all that passed by. And they shall say, This land that was desolate is become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are become fenced and are inhabited. What an amazing prophecy that was fulfilled, amen? Want well, to know the crazy part about this? The atheist Mark Twain visited the Holy Land in the, 18th, uh, in the uh, late 19th century. And Mark Twain came on the scene and he said, wait a minute. I thought the Bible says this was the land of milk and honey. He said, look at the place. It's, and he wrote this in his book, Innocence Abroad. He said, look at the place. It's one big dust bowl. Look at the sheep and the goats. They're eating gravel for food. How in the world can this be the land of milk and honey? He wasn't impressed at all. But he had no idea about the prophecy either of Isaiah chapter 35. And verse number one, that one day the desert will bloom and it will uh, blossom like the rose. And this is what we read here in Ezekiel 36, 34 and 35. The land would be tilled. That word tilled would mean to prepare, cultivate the land for crops. And this is what the early Jewish settlers did. And the Jewish prophets foretold this, folks, 2,600 years years ago what a book we have amen you can't find this type of prophecy in the book of mormon you can't find this type of prophecy in the hindu vedas you can't find this type of prophecy in the quran but it's replete here in the word of god amen from genesis 1 1 to revelation 22 21 oh man the ottoman turks I mean, their occupation was brutal. Do you know what they did? They cut down all the trees in the land. I'm talking from the Sea of Galilee north all the way to Judea. And they cut down the trees. They were selling the wood. They were even taxing the, some of the Jews that were living there at that time with high taxes on the trees. It was absolutely unbelievable. But those early Jewish pioneers, they came in and they started replanting the trees. As the Jews began planting trees and purchasing malaria-infested swamps at exuberant prices from the Arabs, guess what happened after nearly 400 years? Whoa. It's raining, man. During the 400 years, it didn't rain at all. Now, all of a sudden, the Jews are back. Whoa. Rainfall was coming down at 100%. It was absolutely 
Unbelievable. That never happened during the 400 years of the Ottomans occupying of the land. Let's see if we can get this going again here. Joseph, can you transition for us, please? There we go. It's, it's sort of like a delay right there. Check this out. The JNF, or the Jewish National Fund, planted more than 240 million trees in the land. A fulfillment of Isaiah, chapter number 41. That was, that's not a fluke, folks. The Jewish National Fund, or what they call in Hebrew, the Kakel, planted those trees in the land. If you go to Israel today, oh my, 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 my. It is indeed a land of what? Milk and honey. If you've never been to Israel, you need to go at least once in your lifetime. Experience the land of prophets, priests, and kings. Rainfall began to fall miraculously at 100%. That never happened before in that 400 years that these guys occupied the land. The Jewish National Fund was established during the 5th Zionist Congress with the goal of reforestation. The JNF built 180 dams and reservoirs, developed 25,000 acres of land, and established more than 1,000 parks, planting 240 million trees. Folks, that's a fulfillment of prophecy right there. And when you look at Israel today, Israel is one of the world's producers and exporters of fresh fruits, lemons, citruses, oranges, grapefruits, tangerines, you name it, man. Israel is one of the leading exports there. And Israel exports 5%, 5% of the world's flowers. It has indeed blossomed like the rose, did it not? So I got this from the uh, United of Israel website there. Joseph, can you transition for me? Because it's, it's delaying. So I got this from United with Israel. These, school, these Israeli school students... Israeli school is fulfilling the Zionist dream, making the desert bloom. Again, that's out of Isaiah 35 and verse number 1. And there's an organization out there called the Adam Adama Boarding School, sponsored by the JNF here in the United States, is helping hundreds of students make the desert bloom and fulfill the Zionist dream, as well as the prophecies we read here in the book of Isaiah. The young state of Israel was created on a land with an arid climate and a vast southern desert that comprised over half of the country. This article said these challenges were overcome over the last 70 years through technology, innovative water management, and a deep love for the land of Israel. Those students... This, uh, the students at this unique school are helping the desert bloom and fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy, fulfilling the Zionist dream. They are familiar with the prophecy of Isaiah and the prophecy of Ezekiel some 2,600 years ago. Even the united nothing <laughs> that we call the United Nations. You know what they said about Israel? Because they're always condemning Israel. They just recently condemned Israel again. That's another story. This is what the UN said about Israel. They normally condemn Israel for defending itself and even sneezing for that matter. But surprisingly, the UN declared that Israel is the most agriculturally efficient land on earth. Tell us something we don't know. 
How do we know this? We read our Bibles, right? We've read the prophecy in Isaiah 35. We've read the prophecy of Isaiah 41. We've read the prophecy of Ezekiel 36. On your own time, read Ezekiel 34, and you will notice 18 times in Ezekiel 34, God said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Man, if he said it once, it's good enough for me, but 18 times? Oy vey, we better listen up. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I will keep my promises to Israel. I will gather them from the nations of the world. They have been scattered. I will bring them back into their own homeland. I will make the land come alive. I will, I will, I will, I will. And keeping his promises to the Jewish people. Then in Isaiah 36, the land itself would come alive. During the 400 years under the Ottomans, it's like the land was... <laughs> the land was mourning. The land was crying. All of a sudden, the Jews are coming back and the land is like... Eh! The land's rejoicing, Amen. And now it's responded. And then all of a sudden, whoa, it's coming down, man. The latter rains are coming down. That did not happen in 400 years until the Jews began to return. Man, is it a very agriculturally efficient land today. The Jews developed drip irrigation, converting seawater into fresh water with desalination plants. They have indeed made the desert bloom according to Bible prophecy. Go to the next slide, brother, please. Look at that. Is that, is that beautiful or what? You've got to go to Israel, man. Hit it again, brother. I think we have a, a verse on there. Look at that. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, the Jews. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. Even during the millennial kingdom in the future, for 1,000 years, Isaiah said, one day the trees will do what? And the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Why? King Yeshua, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, is reigning from the city of Jerusalem on David's throne in the millennial kingdom for 1,000 years. But we got a foretaste of that when the Jews started coming back into the land. The land itself would be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice, and the desert shall blossom like a rose. The land is happy now. You know that? You know why the land is happy? The land is happy because the indigenous people are back. Since 1897, leading up to the rebirth of the state, May 14th, there it is right there on the wall, May 14th, 1948. Prophecy fulfilled. Ezekiel chapter 37. Them bones, them bones, them dry bones, them bones, them bones. The dry bones. Who are the dry bones? The Jews. The graves that the dry bones are in, the nations of the world they've been scattered to. Son of man, Ben-Adam, can these bones live? Ezekiel says, Lord, thou knowest. He says, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And guess what? I'm taking those bones out of the graves. I'm going to put flesh on those bones. Sinews, tissue, muscle, blood, veins. And then they're going to stand up. Then God said, I'm going to breathe. Ruach, breath, wind into them. And they shall stand up. Great army. You know when Ezekiel 37 was fulfilled? 
May 14th, 1948. The rebirth of the Jewish state of Israel. Coinkydink. It's not a coincidence. That's a God incidence. That was Bible prophecy fulfilled right before your very eyes. That was fulfilled. Prophecy right before your very eyes. That don't look like one big dust bowl to me today. It did back in the day. Not anymore. Why? God says, I have promises to keep. And he has kept those promises. And he will keep those promises. Not only to Israel, but he'll also keep his promises to you. The church, amen? No, that's not the rapture. Because <laughs> we would have been gone, amen? <laughs> Every time I hear that, I'm like, oh, okay. False alarm. You know something, folks? Something tells me the stage is getting set. Something tells me the actors are getting into position. Something tells me the curtain is about to go up on the end time drama because they're back in the land, but the problem is they're back in unbelief. They still reject Jesus. So what do you go out there for? Because God called me to. I hear people tell me, oh, why don't you just move out there? When God tells me to move out there, then I'll let you know. Until then, he hasn't. I go to Israel four to five times a year. Three of those times with Dr. Baker to evangelize. The other two, my wife and I bring tour groups over there and teach them Bible prophecy on location. But man, everything is getting into position right now, ladies and gentlemen. And I believe that shofar, I believe that trumpet is about to sound. The land itself responds when the Jews are back in the land. Those Ottoman Turks that ruled from 1517 to 1917 were defeated, uh, defeated, I should say, by General Allenby in the Jezreel Valley. I take my tour groups to the Jezreel Valley in North Israel. You know what the Jezreel Valley is? Armageddon. Now, that wasn't Armageddon back then. Armageddon's still future, amen? But that is, that's the area of Armageddon. Many battles were fought in the Jezreel Valley. But the biggest one is yet to come in Revelation 16, 16. Armageddon, amen, where all the nations of the world will gather. But General Allenby defeated the Ottoman Turks there in the Jezreel Valley. The guy does a mopping up exercise there in the Jezreel Valley. Go to the next slide, please. He then receives surrender from the Ottoman Turks at the Jaffa Gate in Jerusalem. He's on his horse, as you can see in this picture right here. And as he's approaching the gate, stops his horse, dismounts off his horse. One of his um, soldiers there said, General, why did you dismount off your horse? Are you going to go in and receive surrender from the Ottoman Turks? He said, yeah, I'm going to receive surrender from the Turks. He says, but I'm not going to ride my horse through that gate. He says, I'm going to walk in today because one day, this is what he said, one day my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will ride a white horse through that gate. That's why he dismounted, got off his horse, walked into the Jaffa gate, 
to receive surrender from the Ottoman Turks. And one day Jesus Christ will come back to that very land to establish his kingdom for 1,000 years. Where do I get that number from, by the way? Bible, right? Revelation chapter 20, verses 2 through 7, tells me six times he will reign for 1,000 years. Because we've got the rapture of the church, we've got a seven-year period of tribulation, we have the second coming of Jesus, and then we have a 1,000-year millennial kingdom reign. Man, General Allenby, what a guy to make us a humble, to get off his horse and walk through that gate rather than ride his horse through the gate. He said, no, no. I'm walking in today because one day my Lord and Savior is going to ride a white horse through that gate. Not the Jaffa gate, but through the eastern gate that faces the Mount of Olives on the east. And he will establish his kingdom from Jerusalem, folks, for 1,000 years. Israel's back in the land, back in unbelief. The land has indeed blossomed like rose. Next slide, please. We're almost done here. Folks, that is Bible prophecy fulfilled right before your very eyes. That country right there. May 14th, 1948. Them bones, them bones, them dry bones. Fulfilled. God said, I will keep my promises to Israel. I will keep my promises to the Jewish people. God told Isaiah, though I make an end of all nations, only one nation will be left standing. Look at my laser. Only one nation will be left standing. The nation where your faith was born 2,000 years ago. Didn't come out of Rome. Didn't come from America. Right there. And when Jesus Christ returns at his second coming at the end of the tribulation period, he's not going there. He's not going there. He's not going here. He's coming back there. To the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The land of prophets, priests, and kings. The land where your Lord and Savior was born 2,000 years ago. Yeshua, Hamashiach, ben David, ben Abraham. Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. God said, though I make an end of all nations, one nation remains standing. That nation will be the head of all the nations in the kingdom to come, with Jerusalem as earth's capital. Think about that. 2 Samuel chapter 5, right? David conquers Jerusalem, made Jerusalem the political capital. That was 3,000 years ago. Then in the following chapter, 2 Samuel 6, he goes to Kiriat Yarim, about seven miles south of Jerusalem, takes the Ark of the Covenant, brings the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem is the spiritual capital. Then in 2 Samuel chapter 7, Jerusalem will be earth's capital. When Jesus is sitting on David's throne in the kingdom to come. Your future home, by the way, for 1,000 years. 
as my mentor, the late Zola Levitt, once said, for a thousand years, you are all going to be Israelis. Because we're going to reign with the greatest Israeli, the greatest rabbi, the greatest Jew to ever walk the face of this earth. <coughs> Wasn't born anywhere else but here. Eretz Israel, the land of Israel. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, Luke 1, 32 and 33. He's going to reign from David's throne for 1,000 years. Folks, this signifies with Israel back in the land, fulfilling Ezekiel 37, state of Israel is born, and then, of course, is Israel's first prime minister right there, Ben-Gurion, in which he declared to the world in front of 400 reporters, and it took him only 17 minutes to say this, we declared to the world as foretold by our Jewish prophets, the rebirth of the state of Israel. That's why Isaiah said in chapter 66, 7 and 8, shall a nation be born at once? Shall a nation be born in one day? Bingo! That never happened here. Never happened to that country. Never happened to this country. But it did happen here. May 14th. 1948. Stage is set. Actors getting into position. Curtain is about to go up on the end time drama. Last slide, please. Know what that's telling me? Up next. Up next. My question to you is are you ready? Better yet, are you rapture ready? The next main event on God's calendar of activities, folks. The rapture of the church. And that's why Paul said, don't be ignorant concerning this event. Unfortunately, Brother Tom, you know, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. There's a lot of ignorance when it comes to Jesus' soon return. Oh, we could take his first coming prophecies literally, but for some reason, we've got to allegorize his second coming prophecies and say it doesn't really mean what it says. Hey, listen, God says what he means, and he means what he says. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, For I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so also them which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with a shofar, with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Six feet further to go, but they rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, you know what I'm talking about. Comfort one another with these words. If that doesn't excite you this morning, something's not right there. You need to get it right. I get excited every single day knowing that he could come. And it could even be today. No signs precede the rapture and no prophecies must be fulfilled before then. 
The rapture is imminent. It could happen at any moment, at any time, without anything having to be fulfilled. That's why I say, keep your ear whole on. Listen for the sound of that trumpet. Come up, Heather. I didn't say, come up, Heather. I said, come up, Heather. <laughs> I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. But you will be going up too. Don't. <laughs> and then faster than you can blink the human eye, bye-bye. We're out. We're gone. He's going to take us to the Father's house. I know I'm rapture ready. Tom, I know you're rapture ready. But can you say with certainty that you are? rapture ready. If you're not rapture ready, you need to get rapture ready by calling upon the name of the Lord and get saved. Every head bowed, every eye closed, we'll be dismissed. With every head bowed and every eye closed, folks, you, you saw the prophecies. I share them with you. You see what's going on in the land right now? I've been there many times. I know what's going on in that land. Bible prophecy is on course to being fulfilled. And Jesus said that when you see prophecy unfolding in its early stages, I am about to return. And it could be today. The question is, will you meet the Lord Jesus in the air at the rapture or will you be left behind? Will you be left behind to go through that terrible seven-year period to come? You think it's bad now. Book of Revelation does not paint a pretty picture for the world in the future. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. And that's Jesus returning to establish his kingdom from Jerusalem. But if you're not saved this morning, you need to get saved. As one preacher said, if you don't get right, you're going to get left. And I wouldn't want my worst enemy to be left behind to go through that terrible seven-year period. There's a real heaven and there's a real hell. And you will spend eternity either in one place or the other, dependent upon what you do with the Lord Jesus in the here and now. Chrissy's going to play a brief song of invitation. But if God is speaking to you right now, and you need to talk with somebody about salvation, the assurance of going to heaven, salvation is simple. It's as simple as A, B, C get upset when people try to complicate that the plain simple plan of salvation call upon the name of the Lord and get saved trust in the Lord Jesus as your personal savior ask him to forgive you of your sins ask him to come into your heart to be your Lord and personal savior it's simple it's not a form of easy believism. Just call upon the name of the Lord. And he'll save you. I'm going to be right down here doing the invitation. Men, if you want to talk with me, I'll be here. Ladies, we have other women in the church you can talk to. They're available to open up the Bible and show you from the word of God how you can know for sure that heaven will be your destination. Joseph is going to come up. I'm going to pray. And then he's going to do a few verses of invitation. I'll be right here if you need to talk with me. Father in heaven, thank you again for your precious word. 
God, I pray that you would have your will on your way this morning. Speak to our hearts now, Father, especially for someone who is here and they don't have the assurance of going to heaven. I pray that they would settle that before they leave this building. And those watching via live stream, Lord, that they would settle that as well. Thank you, Father, for what you're about to do now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Joseph, thank you. glasses that he used to have. He'd wear them around his neck and he'd clip them on his eyes. <laughs> they, were, they were magnetic. But let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message that we heard this morning on, you, on your day and the day we worship you. Bless us as we go our separate ways today and as we reconvene tonight. Keep us safe and, have, and help us to have a pleasant lunch. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.